Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We have a wonderful evening's entertainment lined up for you, one that will provide several hours of pleasurable relaxation and diversion for you and your family. It's one of those anomalies, you know what I mean, that this shouldn't work. You know, the fact that everything aligned, the stars aligned, everything else, the fact that we were able to build this fan base over time, it is unique. It's a unicorn, you know, and we have had other owners reach out to us and congratulate us because they have either tried to do something like it and didn't have the success or, you know, um, the worst case scenario is the folks that really were in the position that we were in 2014 backs against the wall. We had no other option than to try something crazy to try to save our business. And think about the dozens of theaters that um, failed in that effort and had to close their doors and shutter their window. You know, so it's it's such a um, I don't know. It's an untried model that we now are the next page in the drive-in culture. We really feel like in the modern era, we are proof that the drive-in has power, that the drive-in has draw, you know, because we are literally in the middle of nowhere right now. And we have people travel across the world to get to us for our programming because we are a 35 millimeter outfit, because we are branded as this punk rock cool uh, drive-in, you know? And that just goes to show everybody that, like, anything can happen, you know? That's my whole take from this whole thing is, you know, obviously being on stage and in bands and stuff, you think about stardom and success and blah, blah, blah. But as soon as I stopped thinking about all that, it started to come. All the divine things started to fall into place. And again, I feel I've said blessed probably a million times on this podcast, but it's true. I feel so incredibly blessed to not only be a part of this, but to have had the people in my life to bring me to this and all that. So, um, yeah, you know, as far as running the theater, I said it like I will do uh, right by Jeff and by this theater until the day that I die. My kids are fully committed to it. My daughter is now wanting to learn to be trained to run film, you know, by Jeff. So it's one of those things that I now look at as definitely a means to support my family for the rest of my life. But it's now a means to carry on our history and leave our stamp um, for the end of time. So who doesn't want that in their life, you know? I mean, singing in bands, writing music, shooting film, writing film, that's pretty much the end all. It's like, I'm going to leave my mark on this world. But I can say it, you know, and Matt can say it proudly and Jeff can say it proudly as well. We've left our mark. The Mahoning is, and the success that we've had even thus far is proof in the pudding that um, you follow your heart, you get beautiful things. This is Sonically Speaking, and I'm Justin Savage. On this show, we talk to people who have taken a different path in life and find out how they got there. On this episode, we hit the road and we travel to the legendary Mahoning Drive-In in Lehighton, Pennsylvania. So put it in part, turn off the lights, and turn up that transistor radio. What do the warriors say when they were talking about Cyrus? 
Magic. A whole lot of magic. And that's exactly what the Mahoning Drive-In is. So here's a little backstory to that. I used to screen films here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and the theater unfortunately closed down. I was getting itchy and I was jonesing for a place to show movies, so I reached out to the Mahoning. They heeded the call and they invited me to come up there for two screenings of some films, and I was uh, lucky enough to be part of that magic. And I was able to sit down with Virgil and Jeff and the gang at the Mahoning and to find out exactly what makes this place tick. All right, so uh, why don't we start out by uh, telling me uh, who you are and where we are. Yeah, so I'm Virgil Cardamone, uh, curator, partner, and film booker at the Mahoning Drive-In Theater in Lehighton, Pennsylvania. The beautiful Lehighton, Pennsylvania. Virgil. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. How did you get involved with this? Um, so in tw- it was kind of destined, like everything in my life. But in 2014, um, Jeff and I partnered up. Um, at that time, Jeff was running First Run Films. And Jeff is Je- Jeff is here at the moment. While Jeff we- while is we're here. Talking, what, first, let's back up for a second. Let, and who is Jeff? Let, let's give a little history of the theater first. I think maybe we got Sure. So the Mahoning Drive-In Theater has been... Opened since 1949, built in 47. What we have standing here is original 1947 Simplex E7 twin projection, which has been running every single summer since 1949 when we opened. Um, The reason that the Mahoning has become legendary, besides the fact that it's been running consecutively for 71 summers. In 2014, when Jeff and I partnered, we decided to go full retro, which which means we show nothing but classic movies. And we decided to stick with our guns and show nothing but 35 millimeter films. And as it stands now, we are the only 100% 35 millimeter retro classic drive-in in the whole entire country. So the legend of the Mahoning uh, was kind of born in 2014 when we partnered up, but it has grown so immensely over the last couple of years, uh, thanks to our documentary at the drive-in documentary thanks to some of the insane support that we've gotten from Hollywood, private film collectors, um, things like that. So the film community as a whole and Hollywood and beyond has really uh, rallied behind what the Mahoning stands for, which is preservation um, and presentation of 35 millimeter film, which this day and age, now that it is a digitally run world, it's incredibly unique. So we say it like we're standing on that pedestal with Quentin you know, with some other amazing uh, champions at 35, Chris Nolan, uh, Scorsese, those folks that are like, this is our medium, this is our only medium, you know? And that's really how we feel. Although we have um, a safety net with digital in case something were to go wrong with the 35 prints or something wouldn't get to us, um, the 35 millimeter is purely our heart. It's, it's, what Jeff has always ran, it's what Jeff will always run. Um, the fact that he was trained um, as a professional projectionist, it's one of those things that's lost now. There's really no, Jeff puts it perfectly, there's no reason for projectionists because there's nothing to do as a projectionist. I mean, does Jeff need to, can Jeff 
J- Jeff, can you talk for a second? Do you want to talk or do you not like talking? I hate talking. You hate talking? <laughs> you talk, I mean, you're, you're pretty, I mean, he, he keeps saying your name and you're sitting right here and you're a pretty integral uh, piece of this uh, pretty bitchin' puzzle. Jeff you is know the what I mean? So, without a doubt. So you know? I, I think uh, what we, I'd like to happen if you can, uh, where can we get so you feel comfortable? So why don't you just say who you are and, and how you got involved with the theater and your history with the theater. All right, well, I started here in 2001 as the manager and projectionist. Um, The person that leased it then uh, called me up one day and said, hey, come on up, take a look at my drive-in. And at the time, I had just got done running another theater. I wanted kind of a break. And I said, ah, I said, I don't know, because you want me to run it. And he's like, well, yeah, I do. He said, I said, well, I'm kind of a little burned out right now. He said, no, please come up and look at it. I said, well, what does it hurt? So I came up, I looked at it, and it so much reminded me of the drive-ins that I went to as a little kid that my parents took me to. Mm -hmm. It's huge, it holds a thousand cars, it has a huge screen, and all those drive-ins from back then were torn down in the major cities. This one survived because it's out in the middle of nowhere. And that's the reason this one still existed. So when I saw this, I said, yeah, I thought this is what I want. So I started here as manager projectionist in 2001. In 2014, I got the business. Uh, the guy that leased it before me left. He was gone. Uh, the owner of the property called me and asked me if I wanted it, and I said yes. So uh, then I became the owner in 2014, and uh, Virgil came along, and he's been my partner ever since. He does the film booking, as he just said, and uh, it's a great partnership. We have a great time, and um, yeah, that, that's that's how it all got started, basically. Can you, before you uh, are done talking, because I know you don't want to talk if you don't want no, to. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, uh, I was know, just kidding. He's can, a great can talker. You, can you just give me a little background uh, of you and wh- where you come from as, as far as your work history? Because you told me briefly just in passing a conversation, but I think it lends itself sort of to nice to what we're kind of talking about. You know? Yeah, I started running theaters when I was in the Air Force. Uh, my Air Force-based theater, which was Little Rock Air Force Base in Arkansas. That's where I was stationed. Um, all four years that I was in, I never changed bases. I was always at that one. And they needed a projectionist for the Air Force Base Theater. And I thought, well, that sounds like fun. I, you know, I ran the projectors in high school in the classrooms, the little 16 millimeters. Oh, yeah. And I thought, 35 millimeter, I thought, that might be fun. So I signed up for it. I got the job. They trained me. And uh, that was 1978. So I've, been, so I've been doing this since 78. And you also said you had a background in uh, working uh, in radio, correct? When I got out of the Air Force in 1980, I had been running projectors two years at that point, and there weren't any openings in any movie theaters where I lived back home, which was here in Pennsylvania. There weren't any openings, so I thought, oh, what else could I get into? What else would I like to do? So I thought, you know, I think being a disc jockey might be fun. So I put in a application at all the stations. In those days, you didn't need resumes. You just filled out a simple application. They called you in and they tested your voice. You read a couple commercials into the microphone on the reel-to-reel tape, and then you waited in the office of the owner while he played it back and listened to it. And uh, so I auditioned at this one station in Allentown, and I went back down to the owner's office. He said, okay, sit here for a few minutes. I'll be back. So he went back, listened to the tape. He came back to the office. He said, I like your voice. He said, what do you know about country and Western music? And yeah, and I was smart. I said, nothing. I said, I grew up on rock and roll. I said, but I said, but I'm willing to learn. That's what did it. He said, okay. He said, I like your voice. He said, we'll teach you about country and Western music. And I got the job. That was 1980. 
So I've been doing projectors since 78, and I've been doing DJing since 80. Amazing. So, yeah. Amazing. So, like, you're talking around 40 years for both. And yeah. doing, you said at, at one time, one would uh, be a bigger part of your... Uh, yeah, it went back shift. and... It shifted back and forth a couple of years. Uh, some years, the... Uh, Movie theater was the main job and the radio station was the backup job. I just worked weekends and there was other times I worked full time at the radio station Monday through Friday and the theater was the weekend job. So it went back and forth. But all my life since 1978, I've usually had two jobs, one of each. But you you did it because you did you love you love yeah. film and love radio. I love both of them. I couldn't give either one of them up. And I still have it to this day. I still have a radio show and I have this drive in and. You know, I'll do it as long as I can. And what's the station that you still work at? Uh, well, WHOL during the week and WMUH on the weekends. And this, what town is that in? Uh, Allentown. They're both in Allentown. Nice. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, and before we stop this, uh, but you tell me your day to day, what your process is of how, will you explain how the, the uh, projectors work, please? Yeah, they're reel to reel projectors because now, if you're gonna run 35 millimeter prints, you can no longer use a platter system, which is where they hooked all the reels together on one big round table. Mm -hmm. And it fed out of the center, almost like an old eight track. And then it wrapped up on another table. Now all prints are archive prints, which means you have to use the original 20 minute reels. You can't cut off the heads, you can't cut off the tails. If they catch you using a platter now, you're finished. They won't give you any more film. So. At one time, there was a platter in here. We took it out. We put the one projector, which was in storage. We reinstalled it. Had to have all the wiring traced again because it had all been disconnected. And we got the 20-minute reels working again and changing over and synchronized. And we've been doing that ever since. And uh, I think that's the way to do it. And like I said, with archive prints, you have to. Yeah, it really allows us to work with the private collectors, work right. with the studios. Exactly. There's no choice. Yeah, yeah, with the studios, there's no choice. They won't let you use platters. And what was, uh, so what's this 20 minutes and then right before the one minute mark, I heard a little something before. What does that sound? There's a one minute bell on each of the uh, feed out reels that tells you that there's one minute left of film on the reel. And that's when you start watching the screen and there's two sets of cue marks. The first set of cue marks tells you to start the motor on the other projector. And of course your bulb is already lit. That's already going. Your second set of cue marks tells you to hit the foot pedal switch. When you do that, it automatically cuts the light and sound on one projector and turns it on on the other one. So if you do it right and the cue marks are in their original positions, you can't tell the difference on the screen. You can't tell the changeover. That's the beauty is we've been watching film for how long? And it's the magic of the projectionist. A good projectionist, you never know is even there. And the yeah, fact that that much goes into projection, like you never know it unless you're a fan, unless you're seeing behind the curtain, if you will. Mm -hmm. Right now. So that's the beauty is. And the reason why we keep our projection room doors open is it's not lost on us that it's a lost art that that's why people are appeal, uh, um, drawn to this, is it's something that is special to a lot of people. Anybody who has worked in the film industry or the theater industry and has run 35 millimeter film has a special place in their heart for people that handle 35 millimeter film. So 
like Jeff here is is the rock star because I watched that. I sat there tonight and I. It's I hard not that. to be in awe. Of that, oh right? yeah, I mean that was it was like a, a beautiful ballet like happening there, watching him move and groove and kind of see how that was going on. It's an amazing thing, and yeah. like you know, for uh, somebody who really like puts their whole life into film and escapism through film and storytelling, the the magic of it is that that projectionist is such a key point, you know, is such a think about how many times somebody personally delivered you magic through that light. So it's like, I don't know. It, it, I look at this whole partnership with Jeff as a blessing that was written in the stars, you know? Yeah. And it really like is a, a perfect marriage of, you know, the old school and the new school. Well, let's Us ho- finding a way to, to blend it. Before you know? we get to the constellation, <laughs> the magic. Let's, yeah. I want to. I want to get to uh, you and how you became. Just give me a brief history of yourself, and and then how the day came where you got that call. Like, yeah. Hey, come. So kind of give me just a little, just a little background of you. Sure. And then and then take me there, and then we'll go from there. Um. So I grew up just outside of Philadelphia. Born in '83. I was the my first intro to performance, which I say is my kind of caveat into what I do now. I was selected out of, um, gosh, the whole entire Philadelphia region, one of 11 boys for the Philadelphia Boys Choir when I was in fourth grade. So that was kind of my first intro into performance, into being on a stage, all that stuff. And for me, um, it quickly transferred into acting and stage plays and, you know, acting in front of a camera, things like that. So I always looked at it as an escape. Like I loved getting out of my own skin when I was younger and putting myself into a character, if you will, you know? And that was a big appeal for why I fell in love with movies as well, is you can see yourself in certain characters, you can get out of your head for a couple hours and be a hero or be in that, you know, drama or be with the, you know, the beautiful woman or whatever it is. And that was my initial kind of love with film. Um, And when I was a kid, we grew up going to the Bucks County Twin, uh, two-screener drive-in in in Bucks County, uh, Pennsylvania, which was pretty much my hometown drive-in. We would see tons of double features there. And uh, it was just kind of classic the way that it was set up, even though, like Jeff says, a real true um, classic drive-in is a single screener. They were a two-screener, so they had a single screen when they first started. Yes. Then they pretty much added the other screen on the opposite side um, of their concession building. Yeah. They added another projection booth, and so you are able to double your business, double your bookings, all that stuff. So um, I used to love going, and of course we'd go see the family-friendly fair, me and my family. But on the second screen, it would be the R-rated stuff, the, the edgier stuff. And you could literally order your concession items and just kind of breeze to the other side, stand there for a little while, watch the movie. And it just like opened my um, my love for film and my love for uh, just the, the theatrical experience, you know. Um, so the Bucks County Twin closed in the 90s. It's now a Target, which for a lot of drive-ins, that is the yeah. sad... Um, outcome of a lot of their businesses. When drive-ins made sense for a family with a lot of land, farmland was, you know, everywhere. 
And as drive-ins became popular, some of these farmers said, hey, I could build a screen. I could build a projection booth. I can, you know, invest some money into getting a system in here and try to sell some tickets. And a lot of them saw insane success when it was in its heyday, you know. Um, but unfortunately, as land got more expensive uh, or pricey in value, um, a lot of those families decided to cash out to some of these bigger companies. And that's why you have, you know, the Walmarts where your favorite drive-in or childhood drive-in used to be. Or you see some of these drive-ins with incredible marquees, monstrous screens, and you find out that it was demolished for, you know, a Target or something like that. So that is the kind of American tale of the drive-in is it started as an industrious business and then big box came in and kind of threatened it. And now the beauty is with everything going on with COVID-19. I want you and I want to go. Yes, yes. We're going to get there. Totally. We get there, but I'm just getting a little taste of you. Yes. We're going to pin it in with the COVID. Sorry, I spin off. It's all right. It's okay. I'm here to real. I'm getting you reeled in, man. My love for the drive-in was there since I was a child. I said it in the documentary. I fell in love with film from the backseat of my parents' car. And it's something that always stuck in my heart to the point where ever since I was 13 years old, I would tell my cousins, my family, my friends, I'm going to run a drive-in one day. One day I'm going to find a way to, you know, be successful as a theater actor or something else or um, whatever. And find a way to invest in a drive-in and make that be the dream come true in the long run. And, you know, you never know where your life's going to take you. But um, out of high school, I decided to shift from stage acting into film and film production. So applied to Temple, got accepted to Temple, unfortunately couldn't uh, pay the tuition. So I decided to uh, take the advice of one of the Temple um, uh, professors and go to the community college, which he was also teaching at. And he said, look, I'll give you the same exact, you know, experience that you would get here. It's about getting the equipment and getting your hands um, on it, getting in the driver's seat, which I loved. As a, as a stage actor, the thing I loved most is you could get singularly in your head to create a character, to get in a character's head, but it's a troop mentality where, um, you know, it kind of takes a small army to put on uh, a show. So there was a nice transition there into film. I would be working with crews. I found that writing was a, a skill that I, I never explored before. So I started writing screenplays and shorts and trying my hand at directing, things like that. And that's when it really solidified that film was what was my means of expression, you know? And, um, you know, things kind of after college, I dabbled with you know, certain projects, nothing ever took off. I started singing in bands, getting back up on a stage theatrically, things like that. Again, nothing ever super took off. Um, a lot of projects I'm very proud of, but I say all those things had to happen to prepare me to meet Jeff. Right. Um, you know, and I should say that Matt, 
our uh, ex-partner here is a pretty crucial key element to me being introduced to Jeff. So he was working for me at the time um, when I was running a vineyard locally um, in Allentown area. And he knew because of our interview together that it was my dream to run a drive-in. We very much hit it off with that conversation. And he happened to stumble upon the, the Mahoning while he was doing a film shoot. He called me and was like, you'll never believe what I'm looking at. Um, and the rest is kind of history. We came in and met Jeff. And, and what was, so just describe to me when you got that call, um, when, when you came for the first time, uh, what it was like here and what, uh, you know, sort of, uh, uh, you didn't really know what was what you were getting yourself into. Like, what was the state of... This was not the Mahoney driving that it is today. No. So so kind of just paint, paint a picture. So, and Jeff, if you want to say anything, you can. But sort of like, what, what was the state of the joint, you know? So I, I can say it, it blew my mind that I, at that time, lived and about... I, I don't mean to interrupt, but I, sure. I, he also says in the documentary, which will say that there's a documentary, but he, did, he thought it was just a sign... He thought it was an abandoned drive. Yeah, okay. Sure. So that's kind of that's a little crucial there. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was one of those things that when we first came in, it blew my mind that I didn't know about it, and I was twenty minutes away. I consider myself an insane driving fan, and it was one of those theaters that, the way Jeff puts it, when you have the Empire State Building in your backyard for seventy plus years you kind of forget the the beauty of it. And that was the case, I feel like, when we came in, was the locals weren't supporting it um, enough. And it was one of those things where first run is not anything special for this area. We have a couple successful drive-ins in Pennsylvania. And um, that's kind of what, what birthed what we decided to do. So. What was the state of it when before they got here? What was the state of it while you were running? Uh, it was not good. For many years when I was here, it did very well on first run. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, we were putting away 12 grand in two days. I mean, that's just box office. I mean, the place did very well. Yeah. In the, oh, let's see, late 90s, early 2000s, things started to drop off. And at first I thought it was the fact that Hollywood just wasn't putting out the pictures that they used to. Then what I found out a little later is that it wasn't only that, but also every indoor theater, every drive-in was running the same films. Why come here in the middle of summer, we can sit in air conditioning and watch the same film? Mm -hmm. Sure, for the drive-in experience. But back then, first-run drive-ins didn't do what we're doing now. What we're doing now is what they used to do in the 50s, and that's cater to their customers. Have specials, have events, you know, have special menu items, do things like that. Well, when we were first run, nobody was doing that anymore. And gradually, attendance started to fall off. And when Virgil got here, why, uh, it was not doing well at all. I mean, I was hanging in there, but, you know, it... It was breaking even, that's about it, even losing a little bit sometimes. So about the same time, Virgil and I had the same idea. I was driving up here one day. Our last first-run movie was Guardians of the Galaxy. That was our last first-run movie. The night it opened, I was driving up here. Every place I passed, whether it be one or two drive-ins that were still left or indoor theater, everybody was playing Guardians of the Galaxy. And I said, this is stupid. <laughs> I'm playing the same thing that everybody else is playing, and I'm tired of it. 
At that time, we also knew that 35mm was coming to an end. So there was a choice. Either I gut this booth and put in digital equipment, or I keep the 35mm and I go retro. Those are my only choices. And about the same time, Virgil had the same idea. He said, hey, we should try to go retro. And I said, yeah, everybody in this business tells me that that does not work. That is a business model that no longer works. Disaster. Right, because you can see it, you know. Netflix, I mean, anything older film you want to see, it's you like can the, see. It's a touch of your fingers now. Exactly. It's a touch of your fingers. You can watch it on TV, whatever. But I said, well, I said, I'm not getting rid of this 35 millimeter equipment. I will not gut this booth and change the originality of it because historically it's very accurate. Yeah. I said, I'm not going to do that. So I said, let's try it. I had my doubts, but Virgil said, no, I can promote this. I can make it work. And I said, all right. I said, let's give it a chance. So he did it. He knew what he was doing. Virgil did great. And uh, while Matt was here, he did his part. He did great. And uh, the place started to flourish. think though when they when the when these guys came in basically off the street you know and, and presented some sort of proposition to you is that, well, is that how this started I, I don't no know. no that's how it started because okay i have you know i'm not stupid i know i'm old school i know that i come from a time when you changed your answering machine you put your ad in the newspaper and you were done that's yeah. it mm-hmm. now you have facebook instagram snapchat twitter all kinds of stuff that i didn't know how to work i had no clue but virgil and matt did so I said, yeah, you guys, I'll take you on. I said, so to me, it's, I mean, couldn't get much worse. So if they didn't know what they were doing, I'd just say, guys, it isn't working out. I'll see you later. But they did fantastic. They really did good. Um, what was so, the first thing? Oh, the first retro movie? The first, first retro the first night, show? The first, what was the first show? After we got rid of Guardians of the Galaxy, our first retro movie, we called it Bite Night. It was Jurassic Park and the original Jaws. Which is, ironically, now that the world has gone retro... They were the number one movies at the box office a couple of weeks ago because... That was the package. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those things. We knew it, too, at the time. Right. If you're going to go with retro, let's go with something insanely safe that we know people are going to come to. And Jeff put it perfectly. Our decision to go full retro was born out of the fact that we were in a hard place. Yeah. It literally couldn't get worse. So let's give it a shot. We're not drawing crowds with first run and jeff put it perfectly like the excitement of uh new hollywood versus what uh, where our hearts lied which is in old hollywood uh was night and day and we knew that we could truly get behind the passion that it would take to promote this business if we were showing movies we really loved right you know so that's really when the shift happened uh when we decided that and it's right right as the industry went digital, so right. we immediately became an anomaly. You exactly. Know? And the first couple months, like um, July, was when Guardians of the Galaxy came out. So I'm going to say end of July is when we had Bite Night, which was our first uh, retro show. And, and that it, did what, great. What year What year was that? 2014. Yeah, 2014. Okay. 2014. And it did great. Then after that, through the remainder of the year, since people didn't really know us yet, it was up and down. It was roller coaster. Some did good. Some didn't do that good. 
But then 2015 on, it's been on a slow increase ever since. Is there something so, that changed, do you think? I think that just the tenacity of us like sticking with it. Sticking with our guns. Sticking with our yeah. guns because yeah. every year we knew it would be a word of mouth outfit. You know, like we made a point to be uh, very tight on the wallet and not spend the money on advertising like, you know, a Regal or a, an AMC would do. So it's one of those things that we knew we were coming at it from a mom and pop angle and relying on the fan base to help us spread that word. And when we started getting the bookings and the partnerships and the connections that we were getting, it became very, very clear that, like, we are doing something really special. And I think that became clear to uh, the film fan as well. And we really started seeing it in 2015, like Jeff said, when we met people like Mark, who traveled six and a half hours to be here. And we would have people traveling across the border to get Mark, to us. Mark is. Mark is. Our, we. He's now a manager here, one of our managers. Um, but he is our like head register guy. He's like our PR guy as well. Handles but he emails. Just, he showed up. He showed up as a fan. Right. He's a guy who just loves drive-ins, really loves thirty-five millimeter, and really loves retro classic shows. So it was one of those things that. Um, you know, he heard through the grapevine from a, another retro show that was happening at a drive-in that, you know, we were going to be making this decision. We were going to be extending our season and blah, blah, blah. And just like everything here, very, very destined, you know, as far as the team that slowly came together because we weren't all volunteer outfit, like a partnership um, in that way where we all kind of banded together like a troop. And decided, like, hey, we're going to work our butts off for the good of the driving, you know? And I think that really showed to the fan base. It really showed through the press that we got. You know, obviously, the documentary is pretty much our hearts on a platter. Yeah, well, I want to um, touch on that. And also, I, I think, uh, kind of describe uh, where we are and uh, regionally what you're close to, because I think... Oh, that, yeah. That, that plays into a huge factor. So the Mahoning has been blessed to be able to survive the buyouts of the big box theater because we're in a very remote area. Don't get me wrong. There's a Walmart five minutes down the road from us. Um, but we are still very farmland out here in a way. Um, it's a perfect rural setting in that that is a plus. Um, but right where we're located, we're about an hour from Philly, hour and 20 minutes from Jersey, hour and a half from New York City. So it's a perfect destination spot. And that's what we found is right away, honestly, from 2015 on, we decided to offer overnight passes because we saw people like Mark traveling literally across the country to get to us for the unique programming and the 35 millimeter and all that stuff. And we said, hey, we should give these guys an opportunity to at least sleep off the show, you know? And so... We extended that uh, that pass pretty much. It's not camping, although you can camp. It's not a campsite, but it's an extended stay, you know. Um, but I wanted to say or mention it uh, because it's one of those things where, hey, you know, you go to film school, you're an actor, whatever, like that. How does that qualify you to do what you do now? So I say I got all my skills as far as the curation, the booking um, when I ran a video store. I was uh, running Hollywood video until the day that it closed down, which again, perfect crossover with the, you know, culture of a dead medium, a dead kind of uh, 
uh, experience that we all had in our lives with the video store. So more than the serving of the customers, which I was obviously very, very good at being a people person, um, the choosing of the movies that I would play throughout my shift became the most important thing in my life. So I would come in, literally study the movie hound, which like listed all the directors, all the you know titles, all the movies going back to the beginning of time. And I would love to curate days. Like I would say, all right, today it's, it's nothing but, uh, you know, Scorsese movies. And we're going to start from, you know, A and land at, at D, you know. So that really, and I didn't know it at the time, was incredible training for what I do now, which is uh, curation, programming, things like that. And it flatters me to no end when people say, the Mahoning has the greatest programming in the country. It has unmatched programming, things like that. So, It's, uh, it's a perfect marriage, you know, the fact that we're working with the private collectors that we are, that we're in the, the headspace that we are, Jeff and I, it's, uh, you know, again, it's written in the stars. I could never have planned for all of this to happen, but everything happened perfectly to, to train me to do this. <laughs> so, I mean, even, you know, the running of the theater, I took Jeff's advice when I left uh, the vineyard. And got into running first-run movie theaters. And my thought behind that was, if I can manage some first-run theaters, get some years under my belt like Jeff has had, that it will train me all the better to run this theater. Is that what you did? So you left? Yeah, pretty much. Um, mutually, we left. <laughs> yeah. So pretty much decided to part ways with the vineyard um, and really put my eggs in the basket and my full heart into the drive-in. So... That was honestly the, the greatest decision I ever made. And it wasn't really a decision to be made. My heart was here from the beginning. Um, but it really is one of those things that all the preparation that led to this um, seems way too destined for me to not look that dead on in the face and say, it, it is, it's written in the stars, you know? I'm not um, overly pushy about that type of stuff, but like, yeah, that is something that was planned for Jeff and I the whole time was for us to come together. And so. how and how did um, how did that documentary how did that happen? And then I'd also like to at least touch on uh, Matt if we can't just sure just because his involvement because totally. only because of the the, the film I mean, it seems like and he made that he made that call so it seems like he was an integral part i will forever of the, of the beginnings of you guys getting together so. so the the mahoning in its years uh gone by i'm sure has the hall of fame of folks who put in their time put in their effort um raised the bar for the mahoning and matt is surely one of those people uh what he obviously 
uh, brought to the theater was a ton of hard work, a ton of art. Um, but in the end, decided to, you know, go follow his own art and his own thing. So the way I look at it is, you know, that relationship with Matt brought the relationship to Jeff and our partnership to light. So um, I 100% back his decision to follow his heart and do his own thing and be his own boss. That's great. Um, but my heart forever lies with the Mahoney, you know? Uh, so how did it kind of, uh, how, did, how did that happen? Because so, like I say, like, it looks like it's, like it's unfolding before your eyes. Yeah, so because it was. I mean, the beauty of the was documentary. Was it being filmed at that moment when you just happened it like you know what i mean yeah it, there is nothing scripted in that documentary everything that was caught was caught organically the crazy thing about it is it's the perfect time for us to have been caught on camera uh in 2015 like jeff said things started getting better but we had some rough weekends and some things where you're thinking like oh my god this is going to demolish and we'd pull 10 cars you know and it was one of those things that I really questioned, like, are we doing right by Jeff? Are we really making this a successful business? Or is this a harebrained scheme and the studios were right and we are never going to be able to survive? But um, in 2016, Al approached us in 2015 and said, hey, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Al Minnelli is the director of At The Drive-In, local filmmaker here in Pennsylvania, um, approached us out of the blue in 2015 and said, hey, I'd like to follow you guys for a couple months next season, um, kind of see what your process is. The way he pitched it is, I'm thinking about doing a documentary on drive-ins and the drive-in culture. And obviously we put our, our heart into this, trying to be uh, a staple of the drive-in revival and the culture revival. So we were all about it. And um, right away, we connected with Al, very like-minded in far, as far as the things that he loves, the movies he loves the type of guy that he is. He's right around my age. So we hit it off almost instantly. And being that I grew up on a stage and I'm used to being in front of a camera, there was nothing that I wasn't willing to share with him. Right. And I passed that along to the rest of the crew. I said, look, this guy's really cool. His heart seems to be in the right place. Anything that he wants from you, give it to him. You know what I mean? So that started the several weeks of him uh, following us with a camera coming to the events, things like that. And um, yeah, he kind of caught the break in the clouds and the sun breaking through to show that what we decided to do on a gamble out of the necessity to try to stand out, um, the necessity to try to gain a little bit of traction to keep this drive-in alive, it caught us at the point when it just clicked. Fan base really caught on in 2016. The key press pieces came in 2016. Um, and as soon as Al completed that documentary in 2017, uh, 2018, it started going on the festival circuit. We started scooping up a ton of awards. Uh, the end of 2018, 
we went out to a screening at the Grauman's Chinese Theater out in LA, arguably the most famous theater in the entire world. So here we are, uh, you know, this drive-in crew that's preaching 35 millimeter and everything else. Were you invited at the head of Yeah, we flew out to LA for this screening and I sure as hell wasn't gonna miss it, you know? Like, I um, took my shot in LA right after film school and everything else like a lot of people. You try to make it out there. Tried to go out to LA. My buddy Matt Nino, um, one of my best buddies, uh, was working for Disney out there. Set me up with an audition at Disney. I blew it Um, and Thank God I did, because it kind of set me on the path that I went on now. The idea of trying to get involved in the film industry, which led me to uh, getting involved in theaters and then meeting Matt and then meeting Jeff and blah, blah, blah. So, uh, again, very destined, you know, but it was one of those things, um, you know, when, when you're out in L.A., everybody has that drive like, oh, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it. And uh, for me, it was one of those things that the turning point was when I didn't make it, you know, or when I felt like this wasn't the right choice or place for me, you know? Um, yeah. I don't even know. Oh, the documentary. Yeah. So flying out. I like that you say that because uh, I mean that. It gives perspective. I mean, 100%. And so what, now that you say that, what did you come back to do? We don't have to delve into that. So, but what did you, so you, you, you tried to make it and you came back and then did you go to the, Wine monkey juice business? Or, so or came you... back, started singing in the band, yeah. uh, started posting open mics, things like that to get me back up on a stage. Met up with some old high school buddies, formed my band, Man the Fire. We were successful for a couple years, put out a couple albums, things like that. Um, and then it kind of shifted when uh, I started to try to make a family. You know, I met my lady, um, really started diving into the idea of supporting and, you know, buying a house and things like that. That's what got me into the wine business, you know. Um, I was able to still have my weekends, be able to gig out with with Man the Fire and the guys in the band. And, um, yeah, it was kind of the perfect lifestyle, you know. It was pretty much putting on events and pleasing people, which I was really used to doing, uh, being on a stage. So that kind of shifted everything, back up on a stage, whatever. Um, and then things eventually led to here, so... But yeah, it's, again, I never planned for any of this stuff to happen. I never uh, could have imagined that this would have been the the way into the industry or anything like that. But it really is. This is, this is the gift that keeps on giving as far as my creative talents. I'm able to get on the mic every night. I'm able to put on a show every night. I'm able to pretty much be the lead singer of the band like I was in my band. And be that smiling face that greets every single person that comes onto our stage. You know? Yeah, it's like a living supper club, you know? It's crazy. I, I say it in press a lot that it, we're like a cinematic cheers where everybody almost starts to know your name, you know? So it is. It's a community that means so much to me and the community that I'm used to working in troops my whole entire life since fourth grade, you know? So it's that sense of community and the people and all that stuff that really made me fall in love with this and really captured my heart, you know? And I think that the most rewarding thing is, as you heard, everybody has a past. Everybody has this, even the people that seem like, oh my God, they, you know, they literally blew up overnight. How did, I saw them going from 20 cars, now they're selling out their lot, you know? 
it took so much grinding, you know? It took so many years of defeat and doubt and things like that. And we're very vocal about that. I was very vocal about it in the documentary. And every time I'm on the pre-show, I make that a point to let people know the growth. And because of them, we have success. And I think that the most rewarding thing is now hearing people say that your story inspires me to go follow my thing. It makes me feel like I have that fuel to fire my belly. You know what I mean? So that's the gift that forever the documentary we, we will be talking about at the drive-in till the day I die. My son will be talking about it till the day he dies. It's a discovery piece. It's not something that blew up in theaters and became this big indie hit. It's something that people will discover forever. And, you know, with such a beautiful calling card, with such an important time in my life, with the birth of my son and everything else, it's uh, it's something I'm so incredibly proud of. And Al is forever a part of my family's life and this drive-in's future because of it. And to think that it happened off of a whim of a guy coming in and saying, I'm thinking about shooting a documentary about drive-ins, you know? And Al would tell you he he pretty much fell in love with the crew, our openness toward him, and not so much at other theaters that he was trying to shoot and get information out of. Um, so yeah, again, another weird destined point that uh, Al came in at the right time, I came in at the right time, Jeff was at the right moment, Matt, all that stuff. It's like, you know, I can't help but look at it as very written in the stars. You know? Sure. Um we can get close to wrapping up here, but I'd like to uh, know a little bit about sort of the uh, the day-to-day, and if you can describe um, the projection. We can, we can work our way to the projection room. Yeah. A little bit, put a little bit of the snack. Uh, like what it. goes into running the business? What goes, yeah, like what's, what's a typical day-to-day of the business or building up to an event for the weekend, uh, you know, sort of a, a big thing or just a one-off or something like what, what what is a typical doing and what is a typical staffing like and staffing saying also volunteers or yeah we do still take volunteers for sure um obviously we're at a point now where we're able to pay all of our staff we're blessed um to be able to have such an incredible crew who again are so incredibly dedicated to what we do here it's kind of mind-boggling um but there's a lot of unique things that come with running a drive-in probably the hardest thing about running this drive-in is the fact that Jeff and I live about an hour away. I live an hour and 20 minutes away. So to run a business that allows overnight camping and overnight uh, stays, it has to have somebody here. So uh, myself, my family, my lady, my kids, we come up usually on Thursday. Um, They might come up on Friday and we'll stay here on the lot. We got a camper here on the lot where we are able to stay, keep everybody safe, throughout the whole weekend and physically we're here. Now, Thursday, I normally come in, I'll meet Patrick here. Patrick handles all of our prints that get shipped from Hollywood, they'll come to him. Um, He will bring the prints over, he'll inspect them usually on Thursday. Inspecting the print pretty much is looking for any damage. Any damage uh, could either damage your projector or cause the print to snap during the, the show, which means that, you know, you have an interruption in the movie. So Patrick or Jeff will do that before the actual showing. What we do is put together classic trailers here as well. So normally Patrick and I and Jeff or a collaborative effort will choose a couple trailers to put together, um, you know, splice them all together, put them together into one reel. 
that's ready to go for Friday night or whenever the show is. Um, then crews start showing up, um, getting everything ready as far as opening up the stand. We have a very heavy merch following, so we have a merch tent outside that we get staffed up as well. Just for some perspective, we used to run this place with a six-person volunteer crew, including Jeff and myself and Matt. And now we have a 20-plus person crew, um, all on payroll, all, you know, insanely dedicated. But it's one of those things now that we have grown, it does take a small army to put on these shows and a small fortune to put on these shows, which is something worth mentioning. Hollywood told us, you will go broke doing this model. You will go out of business very quickly doing this model because it's not the cheaper effort. You know, we are paying up front for all of these prints. We are paying to have them shipped. These are, you know, dozens and dozens of pounds every single time that they're being shipped, which isn't cheap. And, you know, it's there's nothing guaranteed with a drive-in outfit either because there's a, a thing called Mother Nature that pretty much will throw off an entire show um, regardless of how much planning that you do. How so, often does that happen? We get... Uh, here at the Mahoning, it's unique because... Uh, rain or shine, a lot of drive-ins are rain or shine, but rain and the Mahoning crowd, it doesn't make a difference. People are here to um, immerse themselves in their fandom. A little bit of rain is not going to stop them. We've watched a screening of The Fog in The Fog. We have had a lot of uh, divine elements fall upon us. Uh, what's, what's behind us? We have right an there. airport right behind the Mahoning drive-in lot. And another perfect example, we screened Escape from New York, which has a classic helicopter takeoff scene. And of course, as soon as that helicopter took off, we had a live helicopter uh, divinely take off from the airport. So things like that, um, you can't really plan on, you know, again, another magical Mahoning element. Um, but yeah, I don't, what, uh, what was I... What was I on the track of telling you? Everything, man. No. Uh, you, uh, oh, the running of the theater. The, the running. I was asking about yes. the day-to-day. And so it was a 20-person crew that takes a small fortune. But the model, Hollywood, say, you're not going to, it's not going to work. It's just one of those things where I think, especially with the documentary out there, a lot of people may have this, um, this idea of like, hey, I would love to run a 35-millimeter drive-in. I would love to have the success that the Mahoning has found. With a lie. It's one of those anomalies, you know what I mean, that this shouldn't work. You know, the fact that everything aligned, the stars aligned, everything else, the fact that we were able to build this fan base over time, it is unique. It's a unicorn, you know, and we have had other owners reach out to us and congratulate us because they have either tried to do something like it and didn't have the success or, you know, um, the worst case scenario is the folks that really were in the position that we were in 2014 backs against the wall, 
we had no other option than to try something crazy to try to save our business. And think about the dozens of theaters that um, failed in that effort and had to close their doors and shutter their window. You know, so it's it's such a um, I don't know. It's an untried model that we now are the next page in the drive in culture. We really feel like in the modern era, we are proof that the drive-in has power, that the drive-in has draw, you know, because we are literally in the middle of nowhere right now. And we have people travel across the world to get to us for our programming because we are a 35 millimeter outfit, because we are branded as this punk rock cool uh, drive-in, you know? And that just goes to show everybody that like anything can happen, you know? That's my whole take from this whole thing is, you know, obviously being on stage and in bands and stuff, you think about stardom and success and blah, blah, blah. But as soon as I stopped thinking about all that, it started to come. All the divine things started to fall into place. And again, I feel I've said blessed probably a million times on this podcast, but it's true. I feel so incredibly blessed to not only be a part of this, but to have had the people in my life to bring me to this and all that. So, um, yeah, you know, as far as running the theater, I said it like I will do, uh, right by Jeff and by this theater until the day that I die. My kids are fully committed to it. My daughter is now wanting to learn to be trained to run film, you know, by Jeff. So it's one of those things that I now look at as definitely a means to support my family for the rest of my life. But it's now a means to carry on our history and leave our stamp um, for the end of time. So who doesn't want that in their life, you know? I mean, singing in bands, writing music, shooting film, writing film, that's pretty much the end all. It's like, I'm going to leave my mark on this world. But I can say it, you know, and Matt can say it proudly and Jeff can say it proudly as well. We've left our mark. Crazy thing about the, the drive-in in general is there's barely anything to it. It's a singular building, it's a singular screen, and it's a singular marquee to promote it. So what we have is the original of all three here at the Mahoning Drive-In Theater. Like a lot of drive-ins, the projection room and the concession stand arc together. So we have the ability for people to come in and order their food in one part of the central building, the concession lobby, and then there's a door that enters into the projection room. So that houses our Simplex E7 Twins, it houses our reels. It houses everything um, as far as the um, technical end of the show goes. Now, in 2015, 2016, we had the radio booth installed in the projection room. So we had the ability to get in people's ears, give them a pre-show, all that good stuff, um, and really became one of those added additions to the Mahoney. Um, so, yeah, it's... It's an insane thing that we keep our projection room doors open every single night. We promote that because we know that we have people traveling across the country uh, for the fact that we're running 35 millimeter. That's insanely rare to any theater, not just a drive-in. I would argue there are very few theaters that would allow any patrons to come into their projection booths. I mean, honestly, if you're a digital theater, there's no reason to. Right. <laughs> there's yeah. nothing special about it. Um, but... Yeah, it's incredible. And I think that we see every weekend converts, people that are, you know, 
um, seeing 35 millimeter run for the first time in their lives or seeing the man behind the curtain for the first time in their lives. Uh, but the real magic is seeing a father on their knee telling their kids, hey, this is how film works. That's the next generation for us. Uh, that's the future of the Mahoning, just like my kids running the place will be the future for the Mahoning. Those kids that are here with their parents that drug them along to the drive-in, those are the kids that are going to be coming later in life and bringing their kids and blah, 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 you know? So it's a, it's a circle. And I think that the beauty of the, the drive-in is it's very American. It's very, uh, you know, centralized as far as a um, industrious business that a, or a family can do. And that's what we are here. Our family found each other. We found a way to get industrious together. And we took this puppy to the stars. Yeah, so, for sure. It's great. And it's, uh, again, a blessing that we can offer such a rich experience to people. And people that are local, like, it, if I wasn't involved with the Mahoning Drive-In and this thing existed and I was a fan, it would blow my mind that it was within well, driving what distance. Is, and what is the uh, local perception of the drive-in. Of our drive-in? Yeah. So the township obviously loves us because we're a tourist attraction. We bring a lot of business to the, the neighboring, um, you know, businesses. So, um, yeah, they're very supportive. We do nothing but community events all through the year, uh, fundraisers for the locals, things like that. So we've become a central hub. And the fact that now, again, the documentary has taken our story and our small town of Lee Heighton's name across the entire globe, who can bat an eye at that, you right. know? And again, if I were somebody that lived in Mahoning Township or Lee Heighton and saw these guys following their heart in my backyard and making good of their town, hell yeah, I'd be behind them, you know? And we're very, very lucky. We have not had a uh, knock on wood, any issues as far as uh, support of the township, you know, support of, of the locals. So, it's it's a beautiful thing, and I think that they do appreciate the fact that we are thriving for something bigger and better, you know. So, and honestly, this drive-in means everything to the locals. Well, I love hearing people come, and it happens literally every night. People saying, "Oh man, I came and saw Batman when it was released in '89 here, when and we're showing it that night," you know. So there's that as well, where people really appreciate the fact that you are preserving their specific memories you know so i mean i can say it i would i would kill to have the bucks county twin back to have the bucks county twin in that area that i live in now you know um not just for myself selfishly but for all the people in that area everybody deserves a local drive-in everybody deserves a community space as beautiful that as as, as the drive-in offers you know so that's really the big thing that I feel like I was sent here for is just like reviving the culture, bringing my gifts to it to really be a mouthpiece for it and spread that word, you know? And again, it uh, makes me beyond happy. I get to curate some of the coolest happenings in, in film right now. You know, some of our events are beyond mind blowing as a, a film fan, you know? So and right now, the state of the world, um, you guys seem like you're taking really great precautions. And so uh, has that affected business? Yeah. Um, well, we did half capacity, which doesn't really affect us too, too badly. We hold a thousand cars, but Patrick says it perfectly. Mother Nature has taken over a lot of the lot, whether it's overgrown tree lines, whether it's 
um, you know, swampy areas over time. We were built on a swamp. So that hasn't affected us as far as, um, you know, the success of the business. And we were very lucky where we are in that we went green very quickly. Green in this area means, I guess, like safe, uh, safe as you can be. So a lot of the limitations and restrictions got lifted, but um, we're holding strong with all of the precautions on the lot, um, again, to make people feel as safe as possible to come and bring their family to the Mahoney. The beauty of it is, and I've said this a million times in press as well, when you break the driving culture down to its core, the simplicity of it is the safety of it. You can now come out safely in your car with your family and never leave the car if you don't want to get your escape and then you know get back home at a decent hour so that's a beautiful thing that's why the drive-in is seeing its resurgence and like i was saying before when i jumped off track the drive-ins that remain open the 300 of the 5,000 in the heyday that are still open the hurdles they had to jump to remain open the nose that they had to give is incredible and the fact that now, because of this crazy world we live in and the pandemic, that they are going to see some fruits of that, you know, tenacity and labor is incredible, you know. And for a drive-in fan, it's like my only goal now in life is to shine a light on the remaining drive-ins, the true drive-ins in this country, you know. So, you know, if you're hearing this, if, if you're not already a fan of the Mahoning, obviously we want you to come to the Mahoning. But support your local drive-in. The fact that they're open is incredible. The experience that they can give you is uh, priceless, you know, and anything that we can do to support them and rally behind them, we will do. So, viva la drive-in. I know that's right. Yeah. If people want to find you guys besides just getting in the car and coming up here, yeah. where, where can the people go and find you guys? Uh, Mahoningdit.com, like driveintheater.com, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff is kind of our hub, like Jeff said. I try to keep that updated uh, regularly. Mark gives me a big hand with a lot of that stuff as well. So yeah, we try to be the most upfront business as possible. Anything that's going on behind the scenes, we share with you guys. We have a suggested double feature bin. We have a suggested double feature tab on the website. So we're literally going to the audience to help us curate this puppy. So um, yeah, that's what we're all about is the community and you guys embracing us so yeah fantastic you have got a beautiful magical place and i'm so glad Thank that you, you let me be a part of this and i hope that destined we can, can continue uh making that happen but i have had nothing uh but a beautiful exquisite magical very touching time that's beautiful. and just being a spectator last night was uh just perfect man. that's awesome right yeah. it really gives you faith in humanity 100 percent. you know you're like oh wow people can get together and have a great totally time. so from being a spectator then to being a participant yep. the next night you yep. know it was like heavy duty so. and you did a great job we Thanks, can't man. thank you enough for coming out well, and again it. you know i look at everything written in the stars you coming to us very much written in the yeah stars. man i'm looking up there at the belt buckle up there myself, <laughs> so I'll you. thank yep. you so much man i appreciate it you got it brother yeah cheers right on And that's a wrap on that. I'd like to say thanks to Virgil, Jeff, Mark, Patrick, and the whole gang down at the Mahoning Drive-In. From the killer food to the solid hospitality, I'd like to thank the town of Lehigh in Pennsylvania, and especially like to thank the supporters of the Mahoning Drive-In. I'd like to thank Todd O'Fonick from WFMU for spending some hot wax at a pre-show. 
I'd like to thank director Alan Arkish, director Scott Crawford, actor Clint Howard, and Don Joe Bob Briggs. Why? Why the fuck not? Because they also took a phone call from me and they gave me the time of day and they helped me get where I was at. And that's important. I'd like to thank the downtown Chattanooga Public Library. I'd like to thank our Wizard of Gore behind the board, Mr. Charles Allison. This is Justin Savage saying, don't let the flesh fall off the bone.